so we are moving through the book of Exodus, and uh, John Calvin, the theologian, uh, basically said that if you want to know who you are, you need to understand who God is. Because it's from God. He's the North Star. He's our, our center point. He's our reference point to life. And when we begin to understand who God is, we begin to understand who we are. And in the passage we're going to look at today, it's one of the most famous passages in all the Old Testament. It's Moses at the burning bush. And we're going to look at this passage because it's an amazing passage. It's a surprising passage. And I think it's a very practical passage for our life. So uh, if you'd like to follow along with me, I'd love to have you follow along. We're in Exodus chapter 3. And I'm going to just read through uh, the first part of chapter 3. And you can follow along with me in your Bible or whether you're listening online or at one of the other campus, at the other campus. Let me read you the passage here. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I must go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. Now it seems to me like this must have been across a ravine or some sort of a He had to go over, you know, he saw it from a distance. So he sees this bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hiphites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people into the wilderness out of Egypt. But Moses said to him, said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship me on this mountain. So a little historical context of what's going on here. Moses uh, murdered an Egyptian. He fled. And he's been in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years has passed. And he's been taking care of sheep. God has been training him. He's had an extended class, kind of a remedial class. And it's very interesting to me, what I see often in Scripture is you see God using, training people and using them oftentimes as shepherds. And you see David with the same one. When the prophet came looking for the next king of Israel, 
went through all the sons of Jesse, finally came and said, well, is there another, is there another boy? And finally, Jesse said, yes, there's the runt out in the field taking care of the sheep. And it seems like a, a very small, menial job, but uh, God uses those times to prepare His servants. And sometimes you may feel like, where is God? I feel like I'm not being used of God. I'm doing these very small things. And just understand that God will use those tasks in your life to prepare you for that. So Moses has this desert class that lasts 40 years. God is teaching him. He's humbling him. He's preparing him to lead his people out of Egypt into the promised land. I want to talk about what I think are five critical lessons we can learn from this passage that uh, as we examine uh, Exodus and we look at the life of Moses and what God is doing at the burning bush, let me give you uh, uh, five what I think are critical lessons about God and about us. The first one is this, that God is not someone we make up. We live in a world today that basically, especially in our American pop culture, that says, I'm going to create God in my own image. I want God to be like I want Him to be. I want him to be kind. I want him to be gentle. I want to be generous. I want him to be non-judgmental, at least to me. If he's judgmental to other people that, are, that I think are bad, that's okay. If he wants to judge him, that's okay, as long as he doesn't do me, right? I want him to be at my, at my very whim. I mean, when I need him, I want him there immediately, if not sooner. I want him to give me everything I ask for, uh, and so on and so on and so on. So we, we have a way of doing that. And... Uh, it seems to me like we go through life uh, oftentimes creating God in our own image. But what we have in this passage is very different. We have God revealing Himself to Moses. And the first thing He says to Moses is, stop what you're doing and take off your shoes. You're not entering... You know, some of you have clean houses, right? And you don't allow anybody to walk in your house until they take the shoes off at the door because your house is clean, right? And uh, some of you going, really? People do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. And you'll, they'll tell you. you know, you'll know right off the bat. You walk in the door, you see shoes by the door, take your shoes off because you shouldn't be walking around. And so you don't just trample through here. And, and so God is preparing Moses and He's saying, you, you're coming into something very other than you. Very other than you. You know, God is not like us. The Bible describes God as transcendent, meaning He's beyond us. Uh, pantheism teaches that God is all of nature, and, and God is all, right? Essentially, trees, branches, animals, rocks, you know, everything is, is God, and, and we are God, and everything is God. What the Bible teaches is God is separate from His creation. He's above and beyond His creation. He transcends His creation. He is, he is un. We can't approach him. He's beyond our approach. But the other side side of the coin is this, that God is imminent. God is with us. God, and that's the story of Christmas, isn't it? You shall have a son, and you'll call him Jesus, and, and, and he will be with us. God with us. God with us. So God is imminent. He is involved. He is concerned about our suffering. He is a person who cares. He is loving and kind. He is invested enough to rescue us from our bondage. The other thing we understand is when we look at the bush and this episode with Moses, God always has a plan. He always has a plan. It's not a short-lived plan. God never gets, you know, 
uh, caught in a corner and says, okay, now what do I do? God has a long-range, far-reaching plan. He always has a plan. And in our passage, we see him revealing his plan to Moses. That Moses would go back to Egypt, he would talk to the Pharaoh, and he would tell the Pharaoh that the, the, God, had, uh, the God of the Israelites uh, told him to tell the Pharaoh that he needs to release all of the slaves, all of the Israeli, Israelite slaves. Um, we, we talked about the phrase uh, in the movie that was wrong, let my people go. It leaves a big important part out. Let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. God doesn't release us just to be on our own. He releases us to be tethered to Him. We need to be tethered to God. That's where we really soar. So God's plans are always thought out. They always have long-range implications. Here's what I found, and this has happened to me a number of times in my life. There are times where I look at my life, especially when I was younger, and I'm thinking, oh, what a waste, what a waste, what a waste. And then all of a sudden, and, and I remember this just happened a number of years ago. I was, I won't go into the story, but essentially we were invited to dinner. We had dinner, and uh, a lot of things that I had uh, thought were worthless from my youth were brought together that night. I remember driving home, and I was shaking. It was almost like a holy like moment it was a a, a a holy moment because i realized what god was saying to me is he was saying to me matt you know those things that you thought were wasted and not not important and not significant some of the hurts some of the other things he says and and some of those things they all came together and i was able to look back and god was pulling a lot of those things into that evening to that moment and he says none of it's wasted I could bring it together at any time. And I thought, whoa, that's unbelievable. And it, 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 I was literally shaking at that moment. Um, a, a perfect biblical example is, and we don't often get those views, but when we get them, they are holy moments. You go to the end of Genesis, and, and Joseph um, is just under the Pharaoh as far as power and just ability and uh, his father has died and his brothers come to him because they betrayed him they sold him as a slave and they're afraid now that dad has died that you're going to get even with us you're going to you know use your power and you're going to really put the screws on because dad's not around and the only reason that held you back was dad and they come to joseph and they say you know dad's last wishes were that you wouldn't touch us and you would forgive us and that you wouldn't do anything and Joseph says something that's really, really amazing. What he's doing is he's having one of those holy moments because he's able to look back and he's able to see all the evil and all the things that were done against him. And he says this to his brothers. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it to save us. What Joseph was saying at that moment was, I see the hand, the plan of God through my life, through those difficult times, through your betrayal, through the times where I was in prison and I was forgotten, through the times that I was brought up, through the times that I was thrown back. And I saw all of that, and I saw the hand of God. And the reason he was able to forgive his brothers is because he realized that God can take even evil things and turn them around. And I think Joseph was shaking and going... This is amazing. When he, Joseph, I, my belief is that when Joseph first saw his brothers come into Egypt looking for food, 
he immediately saw God had a plan. God always has a plan. Secondly, God knows us, and he, he never forgets us. No, God hadn't forgotten Moses. It's been 40 years. I mean, when you think about it, 20 years here, it seems like a long time, right? Time flies, uh, you know, we, it, it's just amazing to me. And, and yet, 40 years, you think, 40 years, 40 years, and he hasn't heard a word from God. The people of Israel are still crying out to God. He hasn't forgotten them. He's just on a different timetable. Um, they're still in Egypt. They're still slaves. And, and isn't that what we struggle with often? We, we struggle with God's timing. And it doesn't help us that we live in a culture that says we have an instant society. We have microwave ovens. We, we can get whatever we want quickly. If we, we want to buy something, we just go to Amazon. We order it. And within two days, we can have it at our door. Even quicker if we're in a metropolitan area, right? And so that's the culture we live in. And so to think 40 years, are you kidding me? And, and, and I'm sure Moses felt like, okay, you know, I'm like, nothing's happening here with me. And the people of Israel, you know, I, nothing's happening here. And notice what God says. Maybe you didn't catch this. Let me read it to you again. This is in the passage that we just read. This is what God says to Moses. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into the good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And I just want you to understand that God, if you're struggling right now, God is, understands your misery. And he understands your pain. And he understands your struggle. And He hasn't forgotten you. Just because he hasn't, asked, he hasn't acted yet and He hasn't rescued you doesn't mean He has forgotten. God hears us. He understands our struggles. You're not alone. You may find yourself in a wilderness of life, but you're not alone. In the New Testament, Jesus said this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your Father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth much more than many sparrows. So what is the New Testament saying? I haven't forgotten you. I know what's going on in your life. Down to the follicles in your head. Right? Joshua 1.9 is Joshua. General Joshua is about ready to take over from Moses. And, and this is what the, the Lord says to Joshua. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's not just a promise for Joshua. That's a promise for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. He's always with you. He knows intimately what's going on in your life. He doesn't forget you. Paul says this in, in Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor neither height nor depth, neither anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. What does that say? God is with you. God cares for you. God has you in His hands. And no one will take you out. 
You see, God hasn't forgotten you. He's never too busy for you. He's not just aware of your plight. He's entered into your world. He understands your joy and sorrow because He has experienced the highs and lows of life. Do you think Jesus, when He was born and walked this earth, didn't struggle and suffer? I mean, He was dejected, you know, rejected. He was, he was overlooked by His family. He was overlooked by everyone around Him. His, even His own disciples that He walked with for three years questioned him and wondered what was going on so you you understand somebody in his, in his deepest hour he brought his closest earthly friends and they even abandoned him and they fell down uh fell asleep and then and then when he was arrested they abandoned him and were afar off have you ever felt that way like everyone has left you alone you say i don't think anybody ever understands how i feel yeah there is one yeah, he, he's transcended. He's above and beyond us, but he's imminent. He's intimately in, acquainted with your, with your plight and with your struggle. He knows what it is to be rejected. He knows what it is to be mocked. He knows what it is to be overlooked. He knows what it is to be left alone. He knows that. The, the second thing that I want to say is, or the third thing I want to say is, that God often meets us in our wilderness. God often meets us in our wilderness. Notice... Um, it, what I find is God often meets us in our times of uh, loneliness, in our times of emptiness, in our times of where we're worth the life just the bottom drops out in life, maybe physically or relationally or emotionally. When we have those nagging questions about uh, what is this life all about? Is, you know, is this all there is? It, it's at those times that God reaches out to us. Um, when we uh, have those times, God reaches out when we're in need. And, and uh, w- when we give up and when we, we look to heaven and we cry out to him, uh, when we stop saying, God, I'm going to do it my way, and we say, God, I'll do it your way. I'll let you come in. Now, those are the times that he shows up in our lives. Um, here's what I found, that everyone's wilderness is different. Um, your wilderness experience is going to be a little different than someone else. But there will always be that moment where you came to a place where you said, something's missing, something's not right, something's, uh, there's an emptiness, there's a questioning, there's a, a thirst, there's a hunger that I have, and I can't fill it. I, there's something, I need help. And, and it's, God meets us at those moments of our lives. Let me give you a New Testament example, <clears throat> a couple, that I think are just interesting. So in John chapter uh, 3, uh, Jesus meets a, a religious man. He's a Pharisee. He's a good man. Uh, he turns out to be, come to be a follower of Jesus, but he's early on and he's, he's wondering whether Jesus is somebody he should follow or not. He's concerned about it because, frankly, if Jesus turns out to be another one of the false messiahs and he gets tagged with him, it's going to hurt his reputation. So he comes to Jesus at night. And Jesus basically says to him, and now understand, in that society, being a man, being a a Jew, and being a rabbi, a religious leader, a teacher, he is basically the top of society, okay? Everybody would look at him, Nicodemus, and say, respect, respect, respect. He is a very respected, prominent citizen in that community. And Jesus says to him, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, how do I enter my mother's womb again? 
He doesn't understand that Jesus is talking about you have a physical birth, now you need to have a spiritual birth. There's a spiritual part of you that needs to be reborn. He didn't get that. He didn't understand it. That's John chapter 3. So he meets Nicodemus at a place where Nicodemus is. Next chapter, chapter 4 of John, who does he meet? He meets a woman at a well. Now, if you're a woman in that society, you're already down a rung on the ladder, right? It's just the way it was in that day. So, if you're a woman, you're down a rung, but she's not just a woman, she's a Samaritan woman. Samaritans were hated by the Jews. So she's not even Jewish, she's hated by the Jews, and she's a woman. She comes to the well in the middle of the day, it says. Well, who goes to the well in the middle of the day? I mean, think about, you know, how warm it can be around here, and muggy and hot. Well, it's arid and and hot. Uh, If you had to walk a mile or two to get to a well, and uh, you had to carry, you know, heavy water uh, buckets with you uh, one way, uh, when would you go? I'd go in the morning or at night. Sometime where it's cooler. I wouldn't go in the middle of the day. It's probably the worst time you could go. Plus, morning and evening was a time of gathering together where the women and the children would gather together and they would share what's going on, what are you doing today, what's, how did it go yesterday. And at the end of the day, you could share what happened today. And so it was a time of sharing. It was community. She was avoiding community. And part of the reason she was pointing, avoiding community probably was because she was morally you know, challenged. So you have a woman, Samaritan, morally challenged. And what does he say to this woman? He says, you need living water. And she says, well, you don't even have a bucket. And she says, well, give me the living water because then I won't have to come for this, to this well anymore. And what Jesus is saying is the same thing he said, he said to Nicodemus. He's saying you need a spiritual rebirth. What he's saying is you need a spiritual rebirth because your soul is parched, it's dry. And you're looking for men to give you what only I can. But if you let me fill your life, I will give you security and significance and satisfaction. It will become flowing out of you. So here Jesus meets two people, one from the top and one from the bottom. And he meets them where they are. And that's what he does with us. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to understand everything. You don't have to have a a beautiful past and a great pedigree. It doesn't matter because God will reach you and touch you where you are. That's the God we serve. God always meets us at our point of need. Um, I believe that Jesus always meets us at our point of need in a way that best connects with our history. He tailors that same gospel to our needs. Here's another one. God always equips us for His work. God always equips us from His work. Some of you here for years have said no to God. You said no to God for a number of reasons. You say, well, I need more time. I need to be more mature. I need to have more resources. I'm busy right now. It's not a good time. Um, I need more Bible knowledge. I need more experience. I need this. I need that. Here's what I found. God has been preparing you from the day you were born, from before you were born. God has prepared you for where you are today. You lack nothing today to do what God is calling you to do. We often think, well, God, I could do that, but I need this. And I just want to say to you, you are ready today to do exactly what God is calling you to do. Whatever you've said no to God about, you are just basically saying, you, you know, basically the gist of it is this. You're ready today for what He's called you to do. You lack nothing 
You lack nothing except your own obedience. That's what it comes down to. You lack nothing except your own obedience. And isn't this the argument that Moses has? And you can read more about that if you go to chapter 3, verse 12, through chapter 4. You're going to basically see Moses is going to argue with God. He's going to say, here's five reasons. He doesn't say five reasons, but he's going to say, here's the reason why I shouldn't do it. Here's the reason why I shouldn't do it. You have the wrong person, not me. You, you know, anyone else, you, you must be mistaken. You can't be, you can't be serious. So God gives him, or Moses gives him so many reasons. And, and essentially what Moses was saying is, I am not the person, I'm not equipped, I'm not able. But God has been preparing him for 40 years. Most people in the world in that time would say, a shepherd? Yeah, because he's going to be leading sheep in the wilderness that's called the nation of Israel. And they're just like sheep. They wander off and they, they're, they have attitudes and all those things. Well, Moses is going to be well prepared for that job. But he is fighting God about this. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Let me give you another example. So as you read the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 6, um, God, it says that Isaiah was, you know, saw the glory of God. And he's trying to describe it. It's hard to understand what he's saying. But he sees the glory of God. And, and his response is very interesting. He says this in Isaiah 6. He says, Woe is me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So shortly after that, God cleanses him, forgives him. He finds forgiveness. He finds cleansing. And uh, once he got his cleansing from the Lord, God sends him. And in verse 8, it says this, Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And, and I said, Here am I, send me. And you go, well, what a great story, you know. He got his cleansing and he went, well, you know what he did? If you go to read the rest of that chapter, God says, you're going to go to a people that don't want to hear a word you want to say. You, you say. They have hard-hearted, they're not going to listen to a word of your sermons. They're going to fall asleep. They're not going to pay attention. They're going to, they're going to argue with you about it. They're going to be defiant. Your ministry, if you could measure your ministry over the next 10 or 15 years, it is going to be an absolute failure as measured by men. Because you're going to be out there preaching and being faithfully preaching, and no one will listen to a word you have to say. <laughs> now, the thought I would have had at that moment when God told me that was, you got someone else for that? That doesn't sound like me. Because <laughs> I need success. I need people to say, good, and yes, and move. And, and, but he says, essentially what he says, who will go for us? Who shall we send? And Isaiah, send me. God says, okay, here's, here's how your ministry is going to play out. You're going to be a flaming failure. <laughs> but here's the thing. When God calls you, he equips you. You lack nothing. Whatever God has been calling you to do, whatever excuse you have, the only thing that's keeping you from, from being used of God is your own obedience. Here's uh, one last thing. God shows us more grace than we deserve. 
So one of the great mysteries of the burning bush, and a lot of theologians get into this, is here's this bush, it's on fire, but it's not being burned. It's not being consumed, you know. What, what is the pyrotechnique that's going on here? What is, what is God doing? You know, what's the, how in the world could there be a fire that no, Moses notices from afar, and then he walks up and he sees, well, it's on fire, but it's not really burning. And, and, and you know, people try to explain that away, and... The interesting thing is God often shows himself uh, in, in fire or through fire. In Exodus chapter 19, uh, basically Moses in Exodus 19 and 20, the people are out of Egypt and Moses is on Mount Sinai and he's getting the law, the Ten Commandments. And this is what it says. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. In Exodus uh, twenty-four seventeen, it says, To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Some of you have, have watched on video, maybe you've seen it, you were there. You've seen the fires out west, and you see the, the blazing fire. This is what we're talking about. And, and essentially, on Mount Sinai, God is, is that. And the bush is a picture of the fire of God. There's another interesting one, and I just want to point this out just for a minute. In Daniel chapter 3, Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were told, either you bow down now or you're going to get thrown into the furnace. They said, well, light it up, because we're not going to bow down and... They get thrown into the furnace, and even the men throwing them in the furnace, the fire licks them and, and kills them. The heat of the furnace kills the men throwing the other men, the three men, into the furnace. And it's, this is what it says. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. And uh, the, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Right? One, two, three, Right? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Remember a while, a little bit earlier, I talked about how when you go through those trials and tribulations, you say, where where is God? When you're in that fiery furnace, he's in there with you. He's right in there with you. You know, part of me, when I think about that passage, I think, were they talking? Was Jesus saying, don't worry, guys, it'll be all right. I'm here. Thanks for standing up with me. Thanks for not giving in to him. Thank you for holding firm. Now, what is amazing about... So God reveals Himself through fire and He enters into those burning, those those furnace times in our lives. He's with us during those difficult times. We often feel abandoned, but we're never abandoned by Him. Here's the amazing thing. It's not the burning bush. That's not the amazing thing. The amazing thing is that Moses is arguing with God complaining and arguing with God while he's standing on holy ground. 
Remember, I, I talked a little bit about Isaiah. What is Isaiah doing? Isaiah is, is in awe of the holiness of God. And immediately he, he says, Woe is me, for I am unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips. What am I going to do? I'm dead. And God cleanses him. And the first thing it says, God is talking in Godhead and saying, Who will go for us? And, 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 and who shall we send? And Isaiah says, Send me, Lord. Send me. God says, Well, you're going to be a failure. And I think Isaiah said, fine, I don't care. Here God says to Moses, you go down to Egypt, you tell Pharaoh, let my people go, that they may worship me in the wilderness. And Moses begins to argue with God while he's standing on holy ground. I just want to say, I think we in America, we as Christians, have gotten very comfortable with standing in the presence and the holiness of God, and we argue with him. And I think the miracle here is not the burning bush. The miracle is here is that Moses walked away alive. That God just didn't strike him dead in his tracks. Now, why is that? What is very interesting is as you look at the burning bush, there's a phrase that's used. It says, God spoke to Moses out of the bush. And then it says, angel of the Lord appeared to Moses. Now, what do we know about angels of the Lord? When they use that phrase, angel of the Lord, it is always referring to a pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity, Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? I'm using theological terms. Let me explain. Anytime that we see the second person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, right? first, second, third person of the Trinity, co-eternal, co-equal. Anytime that we see the, the, the angel of the Lord, when we see that phrase used, it is always used in reference to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Before he was physically born on earth in his incarnation. Incarnation just means he was in, born on earth. He took on the form of human being. He took on human flesh. But Jesus existed before the creation of the world. So it was Jesus who was meeting with Moses at the burning bush. It was the second person of the Trinity. Now, I think this is significant. Moses, at the burning bush, Moses experienced a visible manifestation of the invisible God. We call that a theophany, another theological term. And essentially what God is doing is he's veiling his holiness because if his holiness were fully revealed to Moses, Moses would be dead in a second. In other words, God is allowing Moses to be Moses. Moses is a sinner. He's rebellious. He's, he's, he's not perfect. And yet he's still in the presence of God and he's getting shown mercy and grace. And I want to just say this. You are receiving mercy and grace every day from God because we stand regularly in the presence of God. We have the presence of God within, within us, the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God who dwells within us. Jesus says, I'm going to give you another comforter who will not be with you like me. He will be within you. And you carry the Spirit of God with you every day. And so we are, we are the holy ground in a sense because we have the Spirit of God within us. But here's the thing I want you to see. 
Moses had his first meeting with Jesus on a mountain, and he would meet God later and get the law. And we read that passage in Exodus 19 and 20. And then we talked last weekend about how Moses had a meeting with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were talking about his Exodus, Jesus, the Exodus of Jesus. You can listen to that message and get more from that. But here's the thing. The thing I want you to see is this, that we begin to discover, our, we get, begin to know ourselves as we discover our Father and our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the beginning of finding ourselves. You don't find yourselves by looking within. You find yourselves by looking outside, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. See, when you find your Father, when you find your Savior, you find life, you find hope, you find joy, you find forgiveness and life. And I am so glad for the grace and mercy of God. If we did not have a meteor between God and man, Jesus Christ, his son, who came from heaven to earth and lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. You see, we're never going to be acceptable. We're never going to live a good enough life. We're never going to do enough good things to be acceptable to God. And, and, And God knew that, and so he sent Jesus to be the one who gave his life so that we could live. He died on the cross and took our place. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not whoever joins his church, not whoever believes in God, not whoever, it's not what you do, it's what he has done for you. So where are you at today? Let me close with a verse from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy that Jesus would see after he went through the suffering? The joy of seeing people like you and me bow our knees and serve him. That is the joy that he looked forward to as he entered into his sorrow and as he entered into his suffering for you and for me. So every one of us has been brought to a burning bush this weekend. We've had an encounter with God. The question is, how will we walk away? What difference will it make in our lives? Maybe we'll walk away knowing that He is with us in those dark times. Maybe we will walk away knowing that the things that we've been saying, no, I'm not ready, we'll say, Lord, whatever you ask. We'll respond like Isaiah and say, Lord, here I am, send me. Whatever it is, I pray that the Spirit of God would speak to your heart and do what He's called you to do. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for bringing us together this weekend. Thank you for this incredible passage uh, about as Moses approached you in a burning bush. Thank you that you have a plan, and it's a long-range plan, and it's it's perfect plan. Help us to understand that uh, we have more than Moses had, more revelation, more knowledge, more understanding. We actually have the Spirit of God who dwells within us. I pray, Father, that whatever the Spirit of God has been calling us, prompting us, urging us to do, maybe it's to start doing something. Maybe it's to stop 
doing something. That we would do it. Pray for those, Father, who feel abandoned by you. That they would understand that though you have been silent, you have never abandoned them. You are right there in the furnace with them. I pray, Father, for those who have been out in the desert for a long time and feel like they're going through uh, life right now and it seems meaningless, that nothing in your hands is meaningless, that you have a plan and a purpose. So help us to wake up every day and say, Lord, what is it today that I can do to bring glory to you? May we live our lives today and tomorrow and this week with that thought on our minds. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.